I'm Elizabeth Slattery. And I'm Tiffany Bates. And welcome to SCOTUS 101, where we break down what's happening at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. This week, we're talking about Christmas gifts for Supreme Court nerds, and we'll hand out our first annual judicial honors and dishonors. Um, So before we get started, Elizabeth, I want to tell you about the David Souter Twitter fiasco. Oh yeah, I've heard a little bit about it, but please tell me all the details. So some Supreme Court reporter, I don't remember which one it was, um, found a a Twitter account that purported to be Justice Souter. Um, And he commented, he was commenting about some like pending case, which would obviously be inappropriate for some uh, justice to do. But the funny thing about this is that anyone who knows anything about Justice Souter would know that there is no way he would have a Twitter account. Yeah, he's probably, uh, since he is a retired justice, living in a cabin in the middle of the woods in Vermont. Yes, exactly. But um, I think uh, he's, you know, he's famous for not uh, liking technology and, and things like that. I think it was at his, I don't know if it was at his, Supreme Court confirmation hearing or later when he was asked about cameras in the courtroom, um, he said that he would allow them over my dead body. Um, (laughs) And so people just should know that David Souter does not have a a Twitter account. But the Supreme Court confirmed, I think, pretty quickly um, that that was the case. But some people were joking that, oh, of course he doesn't have Twitter. He only uses Instagram. Um, And I was trying to picture... Justice Souter on an Instagram. I think it would just be artistic pictures of his daily lunch, which to everyone's horror should be the fact that his daily lunch consists of only yogurt and an apple. Like plain yogurt, right? How boring is that? Like at the Supreme Court, (laughs) that's what he ate every single day. Um, So I saw that. So the Twitter account, if people want to follow it, is at Justice D. Souter. And it now has a disclaimer that says it is not run by the 105th Justice of the Supreme Court, who, of course, is retired Justice David Souter. So all we want for Christmas is books about the Supreme Court. Right, Tiffany? Yes. So if you're looking for the perfect gift for that SCOTUS nerd in your life, um, we have some ideas. So there is a great new Supreme Court cookbook out. Now, I tried to go to the court to get this, and they were sold out, and I was devastated. They seriously underestimated the demand for this uh, this new cookbook. Yes, so I hope they get them back soon. Um, but it's called Table for Nine, Supreme Court Food Traditions and Recipes. It's by Claire Cushman. So it has 43 recipes from justices and their families throughout history, um, including the most recent justice. Apparently, uh, Louise Gorsuch uh, submitted her English marmalade recipe. Um, but she- it does not include Neil Gorsuch's spice rub, does it? I steak d- rub? I don't know, but I haven't seen reports of that. We've got to ask Kevin Daly if he's getting to the bottom. Yeah, of I'm sure Kevin would have already like written an article about this if, <laughs> if that was in there. Um, but interestingly, it has more than just recipes. It has over 100 photos, letters, and artifacts Um you know, about the justices and their holiday traditions and their food um, preferences. And um, it apparently also has pictures um, that have never been released before. And um, one interesting one um, from the book description says they have a picture of the painted tin ammunition box um, from the Civil War that Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes brought his luncheon to the court every day. <laughs> his little lunchbox. No, I can just like picture Supreme Court justices in their lunchboxes. So you were telling me there's a pretty potent punch recipe, uh, right? Yes. So Justice John Marshall's uh, Coit Club punch, I think that's how it's pronounced, but don't 
don't hold it against me if it's not. So apparently this was like a social club where they played something along the lines of horseshoes. Um, but <laughs> there's this punch recipe that I looked up. It's um, it's just Jamaican rum, American brandy, um, Madeira, which is apparently some the sort type of red wine. wine. Yeah. Um, lemon and a couple cups of sugar, which sounds like <laughs> really strong and yeah. actually doesn't sound that good either. But um, I plan to make it if not over the holidays, for the next Me Center um, gathering. I've already approved it with the boss. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> um, so this is not the first Supreme Court cookbook. There's another one I found. It's called Chef Supreme. And it was compiled by some of the spouses of the justices in memory of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's late husband, Martin. Who was quite the cook, I understand. Yes, he's reported to have been um, quite the chef, and often baked birthday cakes for the justices and clerks. Um, and he helped prepare luncheons. Apparently the spouses of the justices host luncheons a few times a year. And he was a main participant in that. And they also apparently, the spouses cooked a big meal before the State of the Union. Um, which is interesting. So both of these are under $25. They're available at the Supreme Court um, gift shop or the Supreme Court Historical Society gift shop online as well. Another great book that makes a wonderful gift this this time of year is Scalia Speaks, Reflections on Law, Faith, and Life Well Lived. It's a collection of speeches delivered by the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia throughout his career. The speeches were selected and edited by the justice's late son, Christopher Scalia, and former law clerk, Ed Whalen. And we actually interviewed Ed in episode 208, and he talked about the book. So if you want to hear his sales pitch, you can uh, go back to that episode. Yeah, is Ed paying you to make this recommendation? He is not paying me. I just think it's a fantastic book that everyone should have. It it's is. not just it's great. for people who love the law. These speeches touch on everything from public virtues to turkey hunting to the arts and education, and they show case Scalia's inestimable wit and intellect. Uh, one of the speeches in particular, it's titled Italian View of the Irish. I, it had me in stitches when I was reading it. It's his not-so-subtle rib on his wife's countrymen uh, when he was speaking uh, you know, as an Italian man before an Irish-American uh, group. Um, you know, for our, we have a Mies Center, Secret Santa, and I was looking up, um, you know, funny law-related or Supreme Court gifts. Um, so I looked on Etsy and there is such a disparity in gifts regarding the justices. So there's everything you can imagine. Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's face is on it from like jewelry and earrings and like pillowcases. And people love RBG. It's just all over the place. But there's like no gifts with this with the conservative justices on them. And I really think this is an untapped market because <laughs> I will buy anything with a conservative justice's face on it. So if any of our listeners are, you know, the artsy type, you you really should tap into this um, market. You'll at least have a couple, um, you know, people who will buy all your stuff between me and Elizabeth. Definitely. So uh, moving on, Scrooge alert in Washington. Oh, no. Yeah. The, the Washington Metro... Uh, Area Transit Authority, also known as WMATA, rejected the Catholic Archdiocese ad that they wanted to run on the buses through Advent that say, the, the ads would say, find the perfect gift. And they had an image of three shepherds and their sheep below the North Star. So WMATA declined to run the ad because it depicts a religious scene and thus seeks to promote religion, which it says violates uh, their, their guidelines for ads. So the archdiocese, with the help of friend of the podcast, Paul Clement, 
is now suing WMATA and arguing that these guidelines violate their free speech and free exercise, among several other claims. So this is uh, a lawsuit that it's it's been making uh, some headlines and uh, – there, there was an article on Fox News, which I think the headline is just pretty entertaining. Um, I didn't read the substance of the article, though, but it just says, Jesus banned from buses in D.C., but gay hookup ads are allowed. So anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but I don't think there's been any action in the lawsuit. So no hope for, um, for WMATA's ad, or for uh, the Archdiocese ads at least this year. And no hope for unsucking D.C. Metro. Yes. It's a great Great Twitter. Um, So thanks to those who sent us submissions for judicial honors and dishonors. As an initial matter, we'd like to apologize to Sean Moroda that his submission of Bristol Myers Squibb, a case about specific jurisdiction, did not make the cut (laughs) for the sole reason that it's a case about specific jurisdiction. Uh, sorry, Sean. It's just not not cutting it for us. We know it's your case. But. <laughs> so we'll start out with the honor of this year's worst opinion. Could I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> it goes to Justice Anthony Kennedy's majority opinion in Murr versus Wisconsin. As Kevin Daly said, this is peak Justice Kennedy uh, coming up with a non-exhaustive seven-prong test. Uh. The worst. So this is the case of siblings from Wisconsin who inherited two adjacent uh, waterfront properties from their parents. They wanted to sell one of the lots and then develop the other one. But they had learned that the lots were merged under state uh, under local zoning regulations. So the Murr siblings, with the help of our friends at the Pacific Legal Foundation, challenged this in state court, arguing that the state had effectively taken their second property by depriving them of practically all use without paying just compensation which, of course, is required by the Fifth Amendment. This went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and in a 5-3 decision, uh, because Justice Gorsuch, I think, had taken his seat by the time, but he did not participate in this case. The court sided with Wisconsin, saying that the two lots could be considered one unit for a regulatory takings challenge. Regulatory takings are, of course, when government regulations become so onerous that they can be said to have effectively taken the property. Uh, The government has effectively taken the property. So in his majority opinion, Justice Kennedy came up with a seven-pronged test for determining what the relevant unit of property is, and he concluded that there was a valid merger of the two lots under state law um, and that the terrain and shape of the lots made it clear that its use might be limited and that the second lot brings prospective value to the first. So thus, the lots should be treated as one parcel, and the MERS did not suffer a compensable taking uh, since they were not deprived of all economically beneficial use of the property. It was an unfortunate ruling indeed. And I think uh, PLF's first loss at the Supreme Court ever. Yeah, they they have had a number of uh, very important property rights cases. And uh, yes, this was an unfortunate loss for our friends at PLF. Now, Chief Justice Roberts, joined by Thomas and Alito, dissented, noting that the takings clause protects private property rights as state law created and defines them, and that the majority's malleable definition of private property undermines that protection. Justice Thomas also dissented separately, suggesting, as he regularly does, that the court should reconsider all of its regulatory takings jurisprudence to see whether it could be grounded in the original public meaning of the Constitution. As if we needed another reason to love Justice Thomas. (laughs) Um, So an honorable mention for the worst opinion goes to the Ninth Circuit in a case called uh, Kernan v. Curio, which we've talked about before on the podcast, um, where the Supreme Court reversed the Ninth Circuit in a per curiam decision. 
Um, so the Ninth Circuit, to support its assertion that something was clearly established federal law, cited um, some Ninth Circuit precedent, a law review article, and Orrin Kerr's treatise on criminal procedure. Um, so in a very <laughs> embarrassing short opinion, the Supreme Court um, said, as we have repeatedly pointed out, circuit precedent does not constitute clearly established federal law as determined by the Supreme Court, nor, of course, do state court decisions, treatises, or law review articles. Um, how embarrassing for it to be reversed on the ground that you cited a law review article um, as as clearly established federal law. <laughs> Embarrassing indeed. But now on a positive note, we are honored to, uh, pleased to announce the best opinion of 2017. And that honor goes to Justice Clarence Thomas's dissent from denial of cert in the Peruta case, Peruta versus California. This is the case where the court declined to take up the issue of whether states that require concealed carry permit applicants to show a good cause violates the Second Amendment. Thomas wrote that it is extremely improbable that the framers understood the Second Amendment to protect little more than carrying a gun from the bedroom to the kitchen. He, he wrote that the Second Amendment's core purpose supports the conclusion that the right to bear arms extends to public carry. And the court in Heller, which was the 2010 decision out of D.C., emphasized that self-defense is the central component of the Second Amendment right itself. This purpose is not limited only to the home, even though the need for self-defense may be most acute there. He wrote that uh, the decision to deny cert in this case reflects a, quote, distressing trend, the treatment of the Second Amendment as a disfavored right. Thomas further wrote that the Constitution does not rank certain rights above others, and I do not think this court should impose such a hierarchy by selectively enforcing its preferred rights. He points out that the court had not heard a Second Amendment case in over seven years, and in that same time, they had heard 35 cases dealing with the meaning of the First Amendment, 25 cases dealing with the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. He writes, this discrepancy is inexcusable, especially given how much less developed our jurisprudence is with respect to the Second Amendment as compared to the First and Fourth Amendments. And it's not for lack of trying. There have been a lot of cert petitions yeah, um, about just the Second Amendment. does not seem to be an appetite among um, uh, enough justices to take up one of these cases. Uh, and I just want to read uh, from the, the closing paragraph because I think it, it's uh, very well written. For those of us who work in marbled halls, guarded constantly by a vigilant and dedicated police force, the guarantees of the Second Amendment might seem antiquated. But the framers made a clear choice. They reserved to all Americans the right to bear arms for self-defense. I do not think we should stand by idly while a state denies its citizens that right, particularly when their very lives may depend on it. So I would commend Justice Thomas's dissent from denial of cert in the Peruta case to all of our listeners as our 2017 best opinion of the year. Indeed. And the honorable mention goes to Justice Alito for his opinion in Mattel v. Tam. So the court handed down a decisive victory in this case to Simon Tam and his Chinatown dance rock band, The Slants, after the Patent and Trademark Office refused to register the band's name for um, disparaging Asians. Um, so Alito wrote that the for a unanimous opinion for the court finding that the Lanham Act's uh, disparagement provision um, under which the trademark was denied was unconstitutional under the First Amendment's free speech clause. He wrote that the proudest boast of our free speech jurisprudence is that we protect the freedom to express the thought we hate. So that's the honors and dishonors of 2017, and we look forward to seeing uh, what's to come in 2018. 
We'll wrap up with a round of Supreme Trivia, SCOTUS Traditions Edition. Are you ready, Elizabeth? Bring it on. I think these are some tough ones. Uh-oh. First question. Which Chief Justice began the tradition of singing happy birthday and giving a toast on each of the justices' birthdays? Well, we know that Chief Justice John Marshall liked to drink, <laughs> judging by his, his punch recipe, so I'm going to go with John Marshall. No, it was much later than that. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, it was Chief Justice Warren Burger. Um, he apparently also made sure there was wine for such occasions. Um, maybe maybe they did use Justice Marshall's punch recipe. Um, oh, uh, and I, I wanted to mention, I was reading about this, and Justice Ginsburg said, Truth be told, most of them can't carry a tune regarding the other justices. But Chief Justice Rehnquist um, was known to be a pretty good singer, I think especially at the, um, the Christmas party. Okay, second question. As a little bit of background, I had no idea, but apparently the justices all lived together in a boarding house in the early 1800s. Yeah, we need to like learn more about this. Oh, wow. Um, but this is the background for the questions. The question is, under what conditions did Joseph Story think it was appropriate to drink wine? Under what conditions? Yes. I don't know. Is it like... After five o'clock with dinner, <laughs> when no. you've had a bad day. <laughs> no. So he thought it was appropriate to drink wine when it was raining. When it was raining? <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, but apparently sometimes he would also say when it was shining outside, oh, it must be raining somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's that great. great. Okay, next question. Which chief justice liked to eat oysters for breakfast? Ew. I know. <laughs> Which chief justice liked to eat oysters for breakfast? It was an early one. Oh, I was going to say Taft. Is that? <laughs> I think is that's that, a pretty good guess. Yeah, earlier um, than Taft. Hmm. Like to eat oysters? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to stick with Taft. It was John Jay. John which, Jay. Yes, goes way back. I know. Um, which sounds disgusting. I don't. I look forward to investigating why he liked to. To yeah. Do that. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Last question. Which justice hand used to hand out homemade beef jerky as Christmas presents <laughs> to the other justices? Homemade beef jerky. Hmm. Could you give me like an era? Um, it's fairly modern day. Um, she, her family had. A oh, beef Sandra Day O'Connor. Yes. Um, her family had a beef cattle farm in Arizona, and she would wrap up this homemade beef jerky and give it to all the justices. Um, Justice Ginsburg is reported to have said that it was very spicy. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's uh, some interesting trivia. <laughs> yes. No, you did a pretty good job. They were very obscure questions. But I, I definitely look forward to trying to investigate more about the the boarding house. No. Uh, I wonder if it was kind of like an... You know, Animal House fraternity style uh, boarding situation with the justices. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to SCOTUS 101. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, and please leave us a rating if you enjoy listening. Please follow us on Twitter at SCOTUS 101. You can also email us at SCOTUS 101 at heritage.org with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes.